the Honky Tonk Man, the greatest intercontinental champion of all time, and you're listening to Chris and Mike on Wrestle Shop. I'm coming to your town in my pink Cadillac. I'm just a Honky Tonk Man. He's a Honky Tonk Man. I'm just a Honky Tonk Man. I'm cool. I'm cocky. I'm bad. I pick a mean guitar, I wear a blue suede shoes You ought to hear me sing the snakeskin blues I'm just a honky-tonk man I'm just a honky-tonk man I'm just a honky-tonk man I'm cool, I'm cocky, I'm bad Hello guys, welcome to another fun-filled edition of WrestleShock And as the title suggests, we have a very special interview um, I'm joined by once again it seems forever that we've actually done this by mike lacy hi mike hey i'm here this time yeah it's been like a month since we talked i'm like the jealous husband he didn't have that's not oh no i should edit that out no that's fine i'll just leave it in but obviously we're interviewing somebody somebody that mike personally likes and after the interview all i could say is wow you guys are in for a treat mike you can introduce said guest oh well, we had been talking about the the Intercontinental Championship, and today we have the greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time, the Honky Tonk Man. That is correct. That is correct. Um, we're not going to... The interview runs for about an hour and 15 minutes, so we don't want to blather on too much. But Mike, straight off the bat, um, just very quickly, what would be if somebody was to say to you honky tonk man what's the first thing that comes to mind is it a wrestlemania match um is it just his music what what's the, the thing that strikes you straight away for me it was though it was always the music the, the fact that he actually performed his own entrance music and nobody else really did at the time it just made it stand out to me over above everybody else's yeah exactly um as you said you know like uh, one of your questions is to do with his music um which is very apropos um, but yeah just the greatest intercontinental champion of all time um, he's very candid um, is one way of looking at it uh, brother um, <laughs> is, is what we shall say um, but yeah um, I take it Mike um, this is one off the checklist of uh, people you've wanted to talk to for quite some time yeah r- right off the bucket list there Okay, awesome, awesome. Well, without further ado, we shall let you listen to this, and the next podcast featuring Mike and myself will feature who was the greatest intercontinental champion of all time. By the way, before I go on any further, the winner of the WWE Best of SmackDown, Raw vs. SmackDown 2011 Blu-ray is... Tom Williams. So, bravo, Tom. If you would like to send me your address, I will post that out very quickly. So, um, I think I will just say goodbye now. So, bye. Say bye, Mike. Bye, Mike. No. Uh, enjoy <laughs> the interview, folks. And the man who refers to himself as the greatest intercontinental champion of all time, and I think uh, a lot of people will dispute that one. Of course, I'm referring to the honky-tonk man who's never short for words, and he is accompanied, of course, by his manager... Colonel Jimmy Hart. Think I should give him a new song? Oh, no, no, not you, Hunky. A 1990s version? No, 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 no. Well, it's a new year, and I want to give him no, something. No, 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 Hunky, listen. Let the people that come to Memphis, Tennessee, Hunky Land USA is there, the big amusement park Hunky just built. It's over the holidays. Everybody come down. We got free Hunky hamburgers, Hunky hot dogs, and Hunky cream for your hair. <laughs> That's right. And it'll make you stand up just like Beautiful this. Beautiful, it'll give you, It'll give you that look you need. Oh, it'll give you the look tail. you need to be the greatest of all time. Never it'll more. give you the look you need to go to the top in the World Wrestling Federation. But you might have to have a little help. 
You might have to be multi-talented. And you see, this is where the honky-tonk man's got the edge on everybody. He lines them up, and oh yeah, I knock them down. I sing, I dance, oh yeah, and I play the guitar. I'm gonna play it for him. Hey, this is the ball time, baby. Hello and welcome back from the break. As you would have heard, Mike and I were talking about a certain individual who uh, seemed to shake, rattle and roll with us all in the World Wrestling Federation. And the man is here. Please introduce yourself, sir. I don't think I need an introduction. I think they can understand me just from my language and my voice. But I'm the greatest intercontinental champion of all time, the honky-tonk man. Sir, it is an absolute honour and privilege to sit down and talk to you. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your um, schedule to sit down and talk with Mike and myself. We'll have some questions lined up, dude. But just once again, thank you very much. Well, I appreciate it. And believe me, there's no, no question you cannot ask me that I cannot answer. And if I can't answer it truthfully i'll tell a lie <laughs> okay just don't tell us you're telling a lie and that's fine then uh, obviously you've just said there now that the greatest intercontinental champion of all time is the honky-tonk man this sentence is always mentioned with your name was winning the intercontinental title the moment you knew you made it in the world wrestling federation uh no not really because uh I, I I knew uh, early on. I knew when I went there and and when I got called up to go there and and I interviewed with uh, Vince McMahon. I I told him in the very beginning in the interview that if he if he gives me a chance, I I can sell tickets. And if I don't sell some tickets, then uh, I'll pack my bags and be on my merry way. And that was our handshake deal that we had. And it you know I spent six or seven months I guess toiling along and doing uh, underneath wrestling with uh, some really good guys like S.D. Jones and Lanny Poffo and and uh, uh, different individuals along the way until I that's, that's how they kind of let you come into the thing and break yourself in with the fans is to go around for five or six months and you know just you know, do opening matches and second, third match on the card, or the popcorn match, which we call the intermission match, where nobody <laughs> got to see you, because uh, uh, they're all up at the popcorn stand, and while you're having your match, nobody's in the stands watching. But uh, I, I did that knowing that I, I mean, I had been with all these other guys, everyone in the locker room. I had, I had been around at some point in my career. I had been in the wrestling business. A lot of fans don't realize this. I know I might be answering a question that should be a short answer with a long answer, but to get to the gist of everything, I had been in the wrestling business for 12 years, I think, 12, maybe 14 years before I went to WWE, and I had wrestled with or had been around all of the guys in the locker room, and and we were all, had at one time or another, been top main event talent somewhere across North America or around the world so uh, you know I knew I was just as good as anybody else there and everyone else there was just as good as me great great uh, Mike your question uh, still Come to on, this Mike. day <laughs> say, say something Mike before we throw dirt on you <laughs> uh, still to this day you hold the uh, the record for the longest intercontinental title reign at 64 weeks what's your opinion of the way the companies like WWE hotshot the titles around these days do you think that it devalues the title at all oh it's totally devalued everything uh, 
uh, I think it's devalued there. Uh, e- even the talent it's, itself, it, uh, there's no way for a, a young fellow now to gain any momentum unless you're, uh, uh, you know, a John Cena that's selling uh, tons of merchandise and things of that nature, uh, because they don't they they don't really give you a chance to. Uh, they throw you in the lines, then let me say this. It's like it's, it's, it's like the old Romans did when they would pitch somebody in with the lions. Uh, you know, you see, you have to swim or die, and, and, and it's, it's so hard because, like I said, I started by having uh, three, four, five, six weeks of TV intro stuff before I showed up on television and then when I was on TV it was those short what we call job matches where uh, some guys some local guys would come in and for three minutes make make us look good make us look like stars and then for the next six months you'd travel around to each of the towns and and uh, have a 10 or 15 minute match and get all your stuff in make yourself look good get over with the fans in those towns and then then the next time you were a little higher on the card and, and and did better. Nowadays they throw these kids out there on raw right out of the training facility they have, and I I, I don't I don't understand it. I don't know how. I you know I'm not a script reader and I don't read scripts and I don't do very well at that that things like that. Uh, these kids have to read a script. They have to script their matches. They have to practice the match before at three o'clock in the afternoon. They start to. They go through the whole show before uh, they start the show at uh, seven or eight o'clock, and I just, to me, you know, if you don't keep uh, Bruno kept the belt for what ten, twelve, fifteen years, and uh, Hogan had the uh, championship belt for ten years. If you don't, if you don't keep those things that, and 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 build a legacy off of that, then I don't think you're ever going to. to uh, attract or or get the people's attention or have the fans gravitate towards you and uh yes the belt's switching around now i mean nobody even knows who has what belt and it was so devalued when uh china won the belt and then of course stone cold threw it in the river the intercontinental i'm talking about and then the ladies champion uh uh blaze she takes the belt to wcw and drops the ladies championship belt in the garbage can and you know things like that totally devalue it. It really seems more like a, like a prop nowadays. Yeah, I don't even think they even use the belts as props to to mean it. it I, I don't think it has any meaning. The only time it was it, that I thought it, it the meaning was beginning to be brought back was with that Santino Morella thing where he was going. You know, uh, I've had the belt nine a week. I was only. <laughs> And and I know now I've got twelve a week and and I thought that was a really good piece of work and I wanted to uh, and and I ran this by them of course it, it fell on deaf ears uh, like most of the things I had told them in the past but uh, I ran it by them I said let's run this thing all the way to WrestleMania and then uh, you know he wins the match and I bow down and say look you're the greatest intercontinental champion of all time and and uh but they never wanted to take it that far and i thought he would have been a great champion yeah 
Yeah, as Mike said, like the likes of the tagged belts is a totally different kettle of fish now as to what it was back then, and it's the same with the Intercontinental Championship. Oh, yeah, and and it would have gave the belt credibility. It would have it would have definitely given it credibility. It would have made it mean something again, and 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 all those things, and and it was all for naught. To, he goes over to England and loses the belt after all this the honkamator honkamania whatever he was doing. <laughs> Uh, thing he loses in 13 seconds to Steve Regal and it was like okay this this whole program's dead well speaking of tag teams obviously you were in a tag team with Greg the Hammer Valentine called Rhythm and Blues no no I'm, let me let me correct you that was okay. that was I was Rhythm and he was Snooze <laughs> okay uh, well I was going to say was Valentine your ideal tag partner so um, maybe judging by that answer maybe no I thought, oh my goodness, I haven't done my homework right. What have I done? Uh, you know, we uh, when we were put together, and, and uh, tag teams is uh, tag team is a very important situation to be in because uh, you have to have a contrast in characters, and that to me was a perfect contrast. I mean, here I was, I, I'm the show business guy, the rhythm and singing and dancing and the guitar and all the flashy suits and here he is with long stringy blonde hair and trying to be a beach bum and just walk out and you know he was like the bull he was like the bull in the match and and i i was the show business guy so the contrast was very very good and then when he had the black hair the people really really hated us i mean of course they hated me anyway but uh uh I mean, the the hatred toward him was so much more than what uh, they had as the dream team. And, but he didn't. He really did not want to do the 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 black hair thing. He says, "Hey, I hate this black hair. I can't get any girls." I said, "What do you mean, girls? You're married. Why do you need girls?" I said, I've, had, I've had black hair for twenty five years. It hadn't stopped me from getting girls. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the you know, actually, the truth be known, we had a meeting with uh, uh, Vince McMahon, and we were going to get the tag belts. We were going to take the tag belts, Rhythm and Blues, from the Hart Foundation, and we were going to be the tag champs. And uh, a couple of days after the meeting, he secured the services of the Road Warriors, and. Uh, at that point in time, we became uh, behind the eight ball, uh, not the eight ball that Jake used, to, but uh, oh. Uh, <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> but any, anyway, we became, uh, you know, like uh, on the back side of the the, the, the last tit hanging, and, and so that was it for us. Oh man! This and is just... internet. This is internet radio, right? <laughs> we're good, we're to, good. You guys forgot to tell me that, so <laughs> that's okay. Don't worry. Um, but 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 the, 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 it's like I said. Then we were passed over, and uh, uh, I guess with the Road Warriors deal was they were to get the belts, and they ended up with the uh, being tag champions. And uh, Greg and I were split apart after that, and we had a little short run with Bushwhackers, which was good. It was funny, and we had fun doing it. And uh, after that, uh, Greg, they released him, and and then they sent me over doing commentary with Daffy Duck, you know, Piper. Uh, 
<laughs> you couldn't get a word in edgewise with him. So, uh, and and Vince and myself and Piper, and it was not a good situation. So I just finally drifted away. Now, just just as your Intercontinental Title run was very memorable, so was the match that ended it. Can you share kind of what went into the decision to drop the belt to the Ultimate Warrior in the fashion in which it occurred? Uh it was a you know it was a long it was a long planned out thing uh simply because Hogan had given notice that he wanted to go and be oh yeah brother I'm going to Hollywood brother you know brother 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 <laughs> <laughs> That was a spot on impersonation there spot yeah, on yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey brother I got plastic hair brother <laughs> We we have fun with it on our radio show whenever we do our shake rattle and roll we have some funny segments and uh, i like to you know take a little shot at people every now and again like uh rick flair and his saggy ass <laughs> oh I'm, that's I, I, well this is real radio i'm sorry but <laughs> and, and, anyway uh uh it was a the thing with randy and i and for me to lose the belt on that big television show uh my deal my handshake deal with vince at the time we uh, met and talked and everything was I, I only had one well I had two requests and one was if you put me in a position and I sell tickets pay me and he says yes I will and I said if you don't then I'll pack my bags and be gone which was a fair thing to, to do uh, and I said but I would just just keep me good on TV which meant no TV jobs do not beat me up on TV because back in my era Losing on television was a death wish. Uh, to be beaten on TV was like uh, now. Uh, it was it was like the worst thing that can happen to you when they start beating you on television. You might as well just pack your bags and leave because there is nothing left for you. And uh, so it came down to that uh, big Saturday night uh, show or Friday night show they had on NBC and 30 million people watching it and uh brought me into the office and randy and liz and for an hour they talked about everything they were going to do with randy and liz and then looked at me and said uh, and then randy will come off with a big elbow on you one two three and jimmy hart will pull you out of the ring and you'll never be seen again and i took never to be seen again as i was getting fired so mm-hmm. I, I i thought about it for about 45 minutes when i left the building and I went and I called my wife and I told her and my next phone call was to uh, the not WCW at that time but it was the NWA with Jim Barnett was in charge down in Atlanta and I called there and talked to Jim and told him what was going on he said absolutely don't do that on television you know you better than that because Jim was from the old school also and, and, and had you know was the premier promoter of all time and uh he says don't do anything till you hear from me i'll call you back in 20 minutes and he had made a couple calls and called jimmy crockett and some other people and said uh when are you home again we'll fly you down to the bahamas we'll have a meeting and get this all settled but whatever you do do not lose that belt on television and Jimmy Hart talked me into, I told him, and he talked me into calling Vince and saying, please, please don't do this. Call Vince first. Give him a chance. And 
when I called Vince and said, I'm not dropping this belt on television, I've already talked to Jim Barnett. Holy cow, he started cursing me like a madman. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for not putting the swear words in there. I do appreciate that. And, and you know what? Years later, when he was doing the match with uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, he actually used my verbiage that he and I had on the phone where I told him that if he wanted that belt, he would have to come to Memphis and beat me for it. And if he's man enough, otherwise it'll be sitting on the mantle over my fireplace. And he used that line uh, with Stone Cold and about the belt being over the mantle at his fireplace. And I, when I heard it, I said, "Man, this guy's got a memory." Obviously, <laughs> obviously that stuck in his mind, and it stuck in his mind now for the last. 20 something years because they don't call me very often for stuff anymore <laughs> but uh no back to the back to the i mean that was a long story to get to the short answer back to the warrior thing uh it was that was my idea for the short match i remember jesse ventura telling me uh very early in my career once i had the belt for a while and i was doing really good he said when it comes time to to drop the belt he said do it really quick get out stay gone for a year come back and then you can start all over again and that was how we did it back in the old days and to me i thought not only was it the right way to do it and when i ran it across by events and i said you know if we're going to do this it needs to be short fast uh not that the the warrior at that point in time he was not the greatest wrestler in the world in the ring i mean his he developed as time went along but at that point in time, it was best for him to come out, beat me really quick. It was best for me to lose really fast after all those months. And it was best for the company because they needed a quick superstar, and that's what it made him. Okay, cool. Um, obviously, you mentioned there Jimmy Hart was your manager. Um, how influential was it um, having one of the probably one of the best, best managers and most recognizable managers in your corner? You know, Jimmy had was there, and, and uh, Jimmy and I had worked together in Memphis uh, years before, so we, we had a chemistry, and I knew the chemistry would work with him. And that's very important also when I talk about tag teams being, mm -hmm. you know, one being uh, different from the other, but there has to be a chemistry even with the tag team. And Jimmy and I had a chemistry uh, back in Memphis that had worked, and I knew it would work in WWF, WWE now, but uh, because he was doing the music thing and he had the megaphone with the musical notes and here I come in, I'm dressed in a jumpsuit I've got the guitar, so it was only natural, we were sitting on a plane one day and uh, Hogan was across from us and and uh, he said, you know, you're going to you might need a you might need a manager you know, and I don't think a Bobby Heenan or somebody's the right kind, I said right here jimmy hart he's a, i mean heck why not him he says you know that's a great idea i think you guys would do good together and from after that uh you know because he he was always close to 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 vince and was able to to go and and, and kind of pander uh his whatever thoughts and ideas he wanted and vince would of course listen to him like vince listens to john cena of course and then <laughs> And and I mean, when you're making fifteen, twenty million dollars a year, and you're the top guy, of course Vince is going to listen to you. So uh, 
the next day they put Jimmy with me and uh, we just, I mean we clicked we really did and and he, I, I have to say this Jimmy Hart is the hardest working guy that I know uh, I mean he will be up at four in the morning he'll be up at, at three in the morning if he has to to do a radio or a TV interview uh, he pushed me he got me up and drug my my carcass uh, out of bed a lot of <laughs> Uh, when when I I I said man I don't want to do this and then, but we were up and doing radio and TV shows all across the country and it kept us visual it kept us in the public eye and that's what he did for me and for that I'm uh, I'm forever grateful. Brilliant. That's very cool. Now um, you had a match versus Jake the Snake Roberts at WrestleMania three. Uh, what was it like? <laughs> what, what was it like to be a part of that historic record-setting event? What was it like performing in front of ninety-three thousand plus fans? You know, I've been asked that question. Uh, I'm sorry to burst your bubble. It's not the first time. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Mike, <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of guys would might tell you or you've interviewed them and said oh it was exhilarating it was the greatest event I mean it was a great event it was a great part of wrestling history I don't really sit around and watch old videotape of it or anything like that by any means but uh, to me and to most of us we were so dead tired I mean we didn't have the luxury these kids have now where they fly them in a day early and let them lay in a hotel and do nothing go to the gym, go to the tanning bed. We worked the night before. We wrestled somewhere. There was shows running. And we flew into Detroit and did that show. We had been on the road for 50, 60 days. And we, after that show was over, we had our two days or so of TV tapings that went from 11 o'clock in the morning to midnight. And after that, show and the TV tapings we had three days off all we wanted to do was get some clean clothes man <laughs> I, I mean that that's if you go back and look I think if you really looked at, at the guys as, as they were carting us and bringing us out to the ring and everything you could just see on, on our faces that we were tired we were just really worn out and uh you know, to say, hey, there's 90-something thousand people out there or it's going to be sold out. We knew it was going to be a big show. I mean, it was not – I mean, we had been on shows that had 60,000, and 30,000 every night of the week. So that was not a big, big deal. I mean, to a lot of fans, you'd say, well, that's the biggest event of all time. They'll never break that record, which is probably true. But from a fan's perspective, it was probably a great show, but – for us, it wasn't. It was like, man, let's just get done with this thing, get these TV tapings over. You know, I, I, my, all of it. We all smelled like we'd been on the road for fifty days. So, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 the sad thing about that's why I never want to look back at that tape and see it is, you know, half the guys, most of the guys that's on that WrestleMania three are they're all dead. <laughs> That is sad. It's really, really sad. Uh, 
see that. So it is. Um, if people weren't familiar with your work in the World Wrestling Federation, if they've been living under a rock for some 20 plus years, what match would the Honky Tonk Man pick for them to watch and why? Oh, gosh, it would have to be some of those matches with Macho Man. I think that's uh Saturday night main event that we had where I pushed Liz down was a, a, a one of our one of mine and Randy's best matches that, that we had. Now, mind you, we had matches every night for almost a year, and I loved being in the ring with him. He was a professional. We weren't friends by any means. We were business associates. Uh, I mean, when I heard the news of Randy's passing, it it, it really shocked me uh, mm. to think that, that gosh, oh, yeah, man, it's spacious, the place, yeah. <laughs> you know, I would never get a chance to run across him again and and, and say hello. But uh, uh, I guess that those were the most memorable uh, matches because we had so many. Now, Jake, you mentioned Jake in WrestleMania three. Uh, of course, you know Jake's openly admitted that that of his demons that he was battling and. You know, Jake wasn't around for him and I to have a lot of matches. We had Jake and I have had more matches on the independent circuit than we ever had in WWE. And I loved working with Jake. He was a great draw. He still is. He's a great name in the business. Uh, we worked together. We, uh, I mean, our styles fit each other very well. So did mine and Randy's. Randy was a little faster and wanted to do a, a little bit more acrobatic, high spot kind of stuff than 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 I was really like to do and and uh, but we worked it out together where we could make it work for both of us uh steamboat was uh, there again he didn't stick around and uh i had great matches after i lost the belt to warrior uh i ended up having a lot of good matches with a warrior for about the next five or four or five months i think i was with him uh just to do return matches and but uh superfly jimmy snooker and i we, I mean, we clicked together like macaroni and cheese. I mean, it was, <laughs> you know, we just really worked well together, and I enjoyed working with Jimmy. Great, great. I was going to say, is that right, brother? But then uh, I thought, no, but then I'll say it now. Anyway. Nah, nah. That's a, that's <laughs> a, uh, <laughs> hey, hey, brother, you know. That's <laughs> a brother all the time. Oh, that was uh, uh one time they had mentioned bringing, uh, they had superstar Billy Graham doing commentary with Gorilla Monsoon. And they says, yeah, well, maybe we'll get Jimmy Valiant in here. And uh, 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 Bobby Heenan comes to me and says, can you imagine how many times those two guys will say, brother, hey, brother, 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 hey, brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brother. <laughs> That's four times that Hogan can say, brother, you know, brother, 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 brother. <laughs> I, I I hope Hogan doesn't want to sue me because I, I say brother. I had heard now this is on this ridiculousest type nonsense that Hogan was going to or threatened to, which mind you was going nowhere other than him wasting more of his money that he don't have. Oh, I don't think Hogan listened to this show, so you're all right there. <laughs> anyway. I guess there was a car dealership or a car dealer that did a commercial in Florida, and he was going, hey, brother, we're cutting prices, brother. Brother, 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 we got cars on sale, brother. So he was actually sent them a letter of cease and desist or something. Maybe <laughs> oh, brother. Yeah, don't say brother. That's, oh, sorry. That's, 
yeah, oh I, sister them there. Okay, yeah. Oh mom, he has, he has it <laughs> trademarked. Yeah. Yeah, 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 right. Brother, brother, brother. <laughs> My plastic hair brother. <laughs> I'm having another back surgery, brother. I'm leaving. The, I'm leaving the business in a wheelchair, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Could be worse, I guess. You could be uh, Ric Flair. I mean, what a way! What a legacy! What I mean? Yeah, up to up I mean, to a that, point. That, yeah, that is the most terrible way to. And, and you know, I've heard it. A lot of guys wouldn't step forward and say it, and but they've told me, and we've talked about it. It's just a terrible way to go out of the business or to uh, be remembered. I mean, now there's nothing the fella can do to rehabilitate himself as far as his legacy goes because it's 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 so tarnished and so ruined, and it's very sickening, and uh, it's it's a sad way to do it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally agree. Totally agree. Uh, sp- speaking of a legacy, um, what was it like to be a part of the Million Dollar Team at the 1990 Survivor Series? Obviously, that was the debut of The Undertaker. Uh, did you have any idea of the historical impact that match would have on the business and the legend that The Undertaker would become? Uh, you know, that's a, Mike, that's a really good question. And, uh, and, and I, I, that was the one time, you know, I'm pretty good at, I guess, or I used to be, or maybe I'm not, of, of seeing a gimmick or seeing a guy's persona and say, this is going to work and this is really good. And I looked at that one and I said, this will never, ever get off the ground. <laughs> I mean, put, you know, putting tombstone, they're dead, put them in a body bag, zip them up. I thought, this will never, ever work. But you know what? It's worked for 20 something years for him. He's. I mean, a great guy, obviously a fantastic talent, and was able to make it work. And I think with the addition of Paul Bearer uh, being there and everything, it, it worked. It, and it was the one that it, – it was the one that I said. And, uh, I mean, Ted and I, we all been Coco – all of us that was involved in that situation back then, we thought it. We thought Vince was nuts. We said that this will never work. I mean, who is this guy? Where is he from? And all of a sudden, his eyes are rolled back in his head, and you know, and he's painted all up and then putting people in a body bag. And nope, I said no, it won't work. But I was wrong. Hey, I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> now I did know this one right from the very beginning. First time I ever saw Hulk Hogan, I knew right away this guy was made of money. I mean, there was just there was something about just the way that he walked, even in public, just the way he looked. He was made of money, and the next person that I saw that I knew was a breakout and would be a star no matter what was The Rock. Uh, I, I knew this I, this kid had everything. I mean, he had the looks, he had the talk, he could wrestle, he had the body. He was big enough to work with big guys, and he was not so big that he couldn't work with small guys, you know. And he, he like very much like Hogan, he appealed. His appeal was to a vast majority of the population, whether it be white, black, Hispanic, uh, Hindu. It did not. I mean, he these two guys were like Muhammad Ali and Tiger Woods. They crossed all 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 uh ethnic barriers. 
and 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 boundaries and and had fans you know i would have to say hulk hogan and muhammad ali tiger woods and there's about five or six whoever the president is the queen of england there's five or six people that no matter where you are on our planet they are going to be recognized and to me that is the sign of a superstar and so then and the rock fits in that category okay yeah i was, uh, couldn't really uh agree agree with you more there obviously the rock um you know still a big draw today even though you know seven years after wrestling coming back facing john cena and still as popular as ever yeah um, and you know you, you just mentioned john cena that's another that's another one i missed that's another missed call on my part i said hey some guy coming out trying to be a hip-hop rap guy wearing cut-off jeans and 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 and, and, and uh running shoes and I, I thought, no, nah, then, then, you know, having a spinneroni belt and whatever they call that thing. <laughs> I'll not tell you what I thought in that belt. I really wish I, we'd I, just keep it the way that uh... I, 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 I mean, it was a missed call on my part. I'd never thought that one would work either. I said, ah, this guy's going nowhere with this. But now he's a bigger star than Hogan or any of them. So I, I was wrong again. <laughs> <laughs> Um, speaking of WrestleMania, WrestleMania 6, you were driven to the ring in style via a pink Cadillac driven by Diamond Dallas Page. Do you still call upon DDP to drive you around, or is it something you still rib him about to this day? No, you know, I don't see, I, I don't see Diamond that often. I saw him uh, this past year at the, one, at the Wrestle Reunion or, or one of those things. I think it was in Miami or Toronto. Toronto, I saw him. And uh, we laugh about it and talk about it. And, you know... Uh, excuse me i've always told him uh there again here's a guy who wanted and loved the business so bad that he would no one worked as hard as he did to make it in this business and he actually drove that car from tampa all the way to toronto why they made him do that why they didn't just get a car in toronto i think it was their way of playing some little silly game with somebody and he thought by doing that, it, it might enhance his ability to, to, you know, get a job opportunity. And it didn't happen. It didn't come for him. And he went back, and he kept training, he kept plugging along, and he finally got a break, and he did very well. And, and uh, you know, to me, the, my hat's off to him, and he, he's, he's just a great person. Great, great. Now, in, in the mid-90s, um, a lot of the WWF, WWE superstars made the jump to WCW. Uh, maybe uh, can you talk a little bit about your time there? Oh, gosh. This is a, fa <laughs> this is a family show. I thought you did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, my time there was... I, I tell people, I, they say, what was the song you had in WCW? I said, well, I wasn't there long enough to learn words. So, <laughs> but anyway, Eric Bischoff, for some reason, told me the very first day I met him, he said, I, 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 I don't, I've never liked your character. I don't like your guy. I never liked your gimmick. The only reason I'm bringing you in is because Jimmy Hart won't leave me alone, and it's the only way to shut him up. So I went, I said, well, I hope, uh, Eric, I can change your mind. And I went straight to the phone back then. We didn't have cell phones, but. Uh, I, I get. I went to the payphone. I called my wife. I said, "I'm not going to be here very long." 
And she says, well, what have you done now? I said, well, I haven't <laughs> done anything. I haven't done anything, but the, the, the guy that's giving, that's giving out the t- contracts and signing the checks, is he's not a big fan of mine. So uh, I knew then that I wouldn't be around. And uh, I started off there on a $1,000 a night deal. I didn't have a contract at all. Uh, it was $1,000 no matter what I did. Even if they didn't put me on TV, I still got paid. They flew me from Phoenix. I'd fly there, work three days or two days, and fly back to Phoenix. And then after about two weeks, they uh, he Eric Bischoff didn't come to me and tell me, but uh, uh, Greg Gagne did because Greg Gagne was working there. Greg Gagne says, uh, I, I want to tell you because of your work and everything uh, and what you're doing, uh, you're going to get a raise up to 1200 a show. I said, okay, great. Uh, any word on the contract well you know they're not giving out any contracts right now they're not re-signing anyone and so i kind of plugged along and bischoff had told me when i met with him uh uh that uh he wasn't gonna he had some some bad contracts that were there and they wanted to get rid of some some of these big numbers on these contracts that had been given out and he wasn't going to renew anyone and as soon as some money became available i'd get a contract so I kind of just like a dog waiting on a bone, you know, uh, with my tongue hanging out, going, "Ha ha! Maybe I'll get one of these good. Maybe I'll get one of these good contracts." And then Steve Regal, of all people, he he, and I love him to death. He had heard they weren't going to renew him, and he put the word out to the guy that writes for the newspaper in Miami that that does some wrestling column down there or something that that he might he will be. Uh, maybe going up north. Well, they immediately re-signed him and gave him double his money, I think. And then they brought in, of course, uh, uh, Hogan, of course, had a contract, and and Jimmy Hart had a contract. And myself and Hacksaw Jim Duggan were the only two guys in that whole group of guys that did not have a contract. Uh, And my friend uh, uh, Brad Armstrong came by one day, and he says, you know, I have to come by like every two weeks just so they see me. I, I really don't want them to see me because I haven't worked there. They really haven't used me in like eight months, but my contract's coming up, and uh, I'm not sure if they see me, if they will not renew me, or they will. Ended up, he got renewed on his contract, and they didn't use him for another year. He stayed home. <laughs> so <laughs> Now, once I found out all these things, I, I was totally disappointed, and then... Uh, I was working a little program with with uh, Johnny B. Bad at the time, Mark Merrill. Mark was a great guy. Nothing against Mark in any way. Uh, I remember Arn Anderson or somebody came to me and they said, you know, we really appreciate everything you're doing to help him. You know, he's coming. You're, you're really bringing him along. I said, hey, brother. I'm Hey, brother. I, <laughs> I said, I'm not here to help him. I'm here to help myself. Uh but anyway, then it came down to they wanted to, a job on TV for me to put him over on the national television show. And I said, you know, I, I just can't do that, boys. I said, I'm not on contract. I'm not a contract player. And they said, well, if you don't do this, uh, Bischoff said, well, if you don't do this, you might as well pack your bag. You'll never get a contract. I said, you know what? I think I'll just pack my bag. And I had a cab waiting, and the music was playing, and I went out the door. Wow, that's it. You're on terms. That's it. And I, you know what? I look back, and it's it's uh, 
I got some money out of it, and uh, I had a friend there. I'm not going to say his name, but at, uh, they would have a guy come around with a sheet of paper, and you would sign the sheet of paper to get your pay. And, and they, he would turn the paper in, and then they would pay us. Uh, you'd get your check like a week later. I would give my friend $200 to sign my name when I wasn't there, and that went on for about three months. <laughs> and he signed my name, and I kept getting checks, and I'd send him a money order every time I got my check. <laughs> <laughs> and, well played, sir. Yes, very well played until uh, 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 another fellow, I don't want to mention his name, but anyway, I told him about it, and he had someone doing it for him while he was not there. <laughs> <laughs> he... he he finally got us caught. We got caught, so that, 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 was, that was the end of the checks. <laughs> I mean, this could have went on for a long time, you know. Uh, they, they had a guy, uh, David Penzer, uh, and uh, if you ever interview him, uh, he'll tell you, yeah, I've, I was walked around with a pad and a pencil, and I'd lay the pad down, and you guys sign, it, sign this that you were here today, and Heck, when I wasn't there, I had someone signing for me. So, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Eric Bischoff. I'm glad you fired me. I made, I made, I made more money after I left there after you fired me than I made when I was there. <laughs> yeah, I think a certain Stone Cold Steve Austin kind of did the same as well. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, we, you know, it was a, uh, it was just a place where there were so many, and, and I've read it the other day. There were so many little different clicks going on with uh you know there was this little click over here there was a hogan click over here and there was this little wcw click and there was this old nwa click over here and it was so much infighting and so much uh skullduggery going on behind the scenes that it wasn't a comfortable place to be i, I never felt i never felt i should be there i mean really i didn't feel like i should be there and i didn't in fact, I didn't want to be there. I wish I could have collected some of that huge paychecks. That, I mean, people who never made any money in the business at all were making $750,000. You know, I mean, the, uh, Jim, I mean, Kevin Nash and Nash and Hall and those, I mean, Kevin will tell you, and I sat down with Kevin once and we finally had a talk, and he's a real nice guy and enjoy talking with him. But, he, I mean, Kevin should send Jim Ross a little sugar money. Every time Jim Ross would go on Monday Night Raw or something, say, yeah, yeah, I, I hear some people from down south that's headed up north. Eric Bischoff thought it was going to be Hall and Nash, and he would give them a raise. <laughs> <laughs> they, they ended up, uh, Kevin ended up staying home the last year of his contract, and and didn't go to WWF, uh, uh, which some of the other guys did. He just stayed home, him and Hall and them, and they were making like $1.3, $1.5 million. Just, just silly money. It was sick. Uh, I, I, I even, I, I, Hogan even told me one time, he said, man, this is, this is just a walking ATM machine here, brother. Brother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, you made a return at the 2001 Royal Rumble, personally one of my favourite Royal Rumbles, and uh, a I certain big red machine... I very long. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, a certain big red machine didn't take you too kindly to your singing, but how did it feel to be in front of a WWE crowd once again? Uh, you know, it was, it was fine. Uh, to me, 
I, you know, I always enjoy my time there that I go back or whenever they call me for something that, that it, you know, that's relevant, that means something. Now, I'm not going to go back and do, uh, I turned them down for this Legends reunion thing where they had Nikolai and they had Ted DiBiase and Hacksaw and Tatanka back uh, a year or so ago. I thought it over and I said, you know, they had those Nexus guys, those 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 young kids that were knew nothing about wrestling and uh, darn they darn near killed Ricky Steamboat by power slammed him or something and mm-hmm. power bombed him and he had an aneurysm then and spent time in the hospital and and I said, you know, I'm the only guy that's very active out here on the independent circuit. I'm the only guy that's very vocal about company. Uh, they are not going to just let me come out and say hello to the fans and walk away. They're probably going to put me in the ring and have these guys and tell these guys, hey, make it look good out there now. Really lay them in on that old boy. And and, and I felt like, you know, was it a cowardly thing for me to do by saying, no, nah, I'm not going to go and do that. Now, now, they didn't tell me that's what they were going to do, but I looked at the plain situation they had for me, the transportation part of it. It was not very good at all 6 a.m leaving middle seats and i said nah, i don't have to do that i mean I don't, the independent people are too good to me and i've made a living for so long on the independent circuit and the heck with it i said no now just on just on the back of that what's the biggest difference between the wwe today and the wwf that you were such a huge part of i think it's it's more of a television product as opposed to a wrestling show. It's a television show, not a wrestling show that is on television. Uh, I kind of equate it to uh, the Super Bowl. Uh, the Super Bowl at one time was a football game that was featured on television. Now it's a television show that features a football game. <laughs> so it's, okay. uh, I mean, it's not a... It's not a wrestling show now anymore. It's, uh, I don't know. They, they, when they call me to come and induct Coco in the Hall of Fame, and I said, sure, I'd be more than happy to do it. They said, well, uh, do we need to write a script? To, we'll ha- write a script for you. Is there anything that, we, that you can tell us? And I said, I don't need a script. I've known a guy for 35 years. We broke in together. We trained together in a barn. They said, well, uh, Whatever you say, can you get it done in three minutes? I said, sure. <laughs> but I still had to go and tell them, and they wrote it up, what I was going to say, so that they had a script. But, I mean, I didn't go out there and read a script. I did what I do best. is I work just tell me what you want, and I can say it. Well, <clears throat> you've just um, kind of tied in nicely to my next question was you inducted Coco Beware in the WWE Hall of Fame which must have been a huge thrill for you as you just said you know you know him for so long can we ever expect the honky tonk man to go in and if so who would you pick to induct you oh I, I, I didn't hit the button to turn myself off you guys can hear me can you yeah. yes okay uh, well you don't get to pick who inducts you uh, oh right that, yes that's uh you know, unless you're, I, I don't even think Mike Tyson had the chance to pick who inducted him, but I know that uh, he had a hefty contract for like 30-something million dollars. Uh, not, yeah, not 30 million, but 30,000 uh, or thereabouts. And Maybe the numbers 
not right. Maybe it is, but you know, they give the wrestlers minuscule pennies uh, compared to something like that. I know Hogan was upset because Sylvester Stallone made more money in his three-minute introduction speech to in, uh, induct Hogan than Hogan made for the Hall of Fame. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's not right, brother. Uh, yeah, brother. You know, brother. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't have a chance to. I mean, uh, I think the only person that can induct me and do it the proper way would be Jimmy Hart because we spent mm-hmm. so much time together, and he probably knows me uh, better than, I mean, hell, he knows more he knows more about me than my wife does. But, uh, no, I... I would I would I go into the Hall of Fame? They asked me here to do it in Phoenix uh, two years, what, two years ago? Yeah, it was two years, not three years. But I was booked in Toronto with the uh, – and, and by all th- – now, I guess I should not have told them, but I mentioned I was booked for these comic cons with this place called Wizard World. Mm-hmm. And they do these comic book conventions like Big Comic Con that was in San mm-hmm. Diego. They do them all over the country, all over North America, and I mentioned that I was up, had contracted them for 14 shows, and it happened to be that weekend, and I had a contract and couldn't do it, so I had to turn them down, and lo and behold, now I see where John Cena is going to be at Wizard World in Chicago, and they're putting all the WWE people on Wizard World, so now it kind of just killed me off. I mean... The fans are going to want a John Cena picture, not a Honky Tonk Man picture. So, uh, you'll still get some people going over there. The way to look at it is, you know, you'll get some people like um, I don't think I've ever heard a Honky Tonk Man sucks um, chant <laughs> with, when you know, like the "Let's go Cena, Cena sucks." So, no, I think you know that's true. I, I'm glad you said that, not me. So uh, you get the oh well, yeah, you know, I might as well get myself in some bother. Not John Cena <laughs> listening to this show. So anyway, you know, but anyway, uh, no, you, you know, I, I've been very fortunate about the, the the fans have, you know, even when I went back for the Santina Morella thing, or or even when I went back and did that Royal Rumble you talked about. Now I had done a Royal Rumble a few years before that where I, I was in fact I think it was about the same time or 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 yeah maybe it was when they were uh, doing that rockabilly thing or something I, I'm not sure uh, that was another part of my uh, and and Billy himself will tell you uh, it was a bad experience for him bad experience for, for the both of us it was something that was destined to be bad I could see it was and uh, but when I went back and Kane hits me over the head with a guitar, I mean, uh, the people cheered for Kane to hit me with the guitar. But when I came out of the, behind the curtain, the, the fans cheered for me like crazy, and and they did with the Santino Marilla thing. I mean, I was a a, a good guy, and I, out here on the independent circuit, I'm the good guy. It's as if people don't even remember. Uh, other than Andre the Giant, I was probably one of the most hated villains of all time. But we still love you anyway. <laughs> yeah. And now it's to the point where the fans go, you know, we love these shooting interviews you do. We love the radio show that you you guys do. And you don't pull any punches. You kind of tell it like it is. And, you know, a lot of guys, and, and I'll say this about these RF shoot videos and these other things, a lot of times guys would probably 
didn't like some things that I said and probably didn't like me. But as time went on, they have all now turned themselves, prostituted themselves for the money and went and did these shoot videos like I did. So now <laughs> nobody's got a problem with me. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's what, that's what a lot of us want nowadays is to hear an honest you know, an, an honest, you know, uh, recollection of events and, and, and honest thoughts. I think that's one of the big reasons why CM Punk is blown up the way that he has, you know, when he, we dropped his pipe bomb last year and, and really kind of, uh, you know, did a bit of, you know, a work shoot. But that's really where his steam really started was when he dropped the curtain and kind of just went straight ahead and, and, and gave a... More, more realistic view of what was going on, and I think people really, really like that versus you know a straight you know pre-scripted character. I, I think you're right, and and uh, it gave him an opportunity to go out and be himself, and that's the mo the listen. You can't. There's only certain parts in life that you can play and make them play well. You kind of have to be that character. No, I don't walk around the streets with a jumpsuit on by any means. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and Hogan, no matter where he goes, he's going to be recognized. So he, I mean, he is that character. And I am that honky-tonk man character. That It's easy for me to do that. And for some guys, uh, if you try to script them, they can't be scripted. And uh, But... There again, Santino Morello, I'll go back to him. I think he is an absolute fantastic talent. Not only that, but he can take three or four pages of script that they give him and go out and deliver it, and deliver it very well. I could not do that. He is much more talented at script reading and remembering four pages of dialogue than I could ever do. Uh, but, yes, I think if you give a guy an opportunity, and the, the ones that really get the opportunity, look, when Rock came back, Rock comes back and Rock goes out, they didn't script him. Rock goes out and does his interview the way the Rock wants to do it. And that's why he got all the cheers. And then, you know, you got the – I'm sure John Cena gets to do his interviews the way he wants to do them. But I still think some of his stuff is way too scripted, I can tell, that he's not really in his element and he's not that comfortable – delivering some of the lines that he has to deliver. Uh, and then you got Stone Cold who's going to go out. He's not going to be scripted, and he's going to say whatever he wants to, and so does Sean, and so does Triple H, and so does Vince. Vince is, a, Vince is the best in the world. He's the best bad guy of all time because he can just strut out there and say whatever he wants. True. So true. Um Obviously, WWF, WWE um, was where we mainly know you from. Um, was there somebody in the days that you were there that you didn't feud with that you would have loved to? Oh, yeah, brother. I was your brother. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ric Flair then? Okay. Hey, yeah, bro. Woo! I, I cared less about having a match with him. Uh, no, the, you know, I, I missed that Hogan deal because I was the Intercontinental Champion and they never put us together. I think I had one tag match and two single matches with Hogan, and, and that was pretty much it. But 
back then, and, and I know you guys will think, and a lot of the fans will think that, that I'm making this all up and it's all baloney, but I can tell you, to have a six-month, eight-month, a year run with Hogan, you're talking $10,000, $15,000 a day. And we were, working nine, we were working nine shows a week, twice on Saturday, twice on Sunday. You're talking about making $100,000 a week if you were wrestling this guy. I'm serious. I mean, I, I worked with Bruno in Madison Square Garden and, uh, because he filled in for Jake the Snake. We sold the garden out. It was sold out. I made ten grand, $10,000 for that one match. Now, if you're with Hogan... That was every night it was sold out. Every match was sold out. So you're making eight, ten, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars a match. You know, and to to be against Hogan at a WrestleMania, you're talking at least a million, two million. Hogan was making five, six million per WrestleMania. Oh man. I mean, it was uh, these kids today that talk about, oh, we outdrew these guys, we outdrew this. And I went back and I found a, a video on YouTube of myself against Bruno in Philadelphia at the Spectrum. And I posted it on my my Facebook page. And my son came down and he was watching with me. He says, dang, Dad, look at that crowd of people. There were so many people in the Spectrum that night for for Bruno to go. I mean, they, they knew Bruno was going to destroy me and win the belt. And the place was turn away crowd. It was so packed with people. And these kids today say, oh, well, we outdraw them guys. They never did what we... No, they, they have better marketability now because all their products are in every store. Listen, you couldn't buy a Hulk Hogan t-shirt unless you bought it at the arena or you ordered it out of the magazine. Can you imagine the money Hogan and those guys and Jake and Steamboat and Piper, they would have made if, if Kmart, Walmart, Target, and all these places had their T-shirts and merchandise? As, it, it's nice to hear you, you say that about the, the spectrum because that's, that's where I'm from. I'm actually about 20 minutes outside of Philadelphia, right over the bridge there. And, I, yep. I mean, just, just, just to hear someone that has performed in that venue, what is – I mean – for the much we're pretty much the most the most rabid fan base for pretty much anything. What was your experience with the crowd here in Philadelphia? Just I mean, it was so sad to see that you know I've I've seen so many shows within that building to see it come down last year, uh, yeah. and now they have like a bunch of bars there and and whatnot. But what was your recollection and some of your uh, some of your experiences performing inside that building? Oh, it was a great venue. It was, it was, uh, you know, other than Madison Square Garden, but the old Boston Garden, uh, the Philadelphia Spectrum. It was our, we we were there once a month, all the time. I mean, uh, and the fans. I I was never in the in the Spectrum that it wasn't sold out, or or at least, you know, all, you know, maybe a thousand tickets less than the sellout, but. Other than that, that that building was sold out every time we went there, and the fans, the fans in in in, in the Philadelphia area, they they loved their wrestling. I mean, they loved it. That's obviously why ECW started there, and 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 you know did very well in the Philadelphia area because the, that's a really good fan base. But the Spectrum, that building itself, 
what it was just it was made for a wrestling event i mean it was you know they had the light hanging from the top of the ceiling down over top of the ring and everything else was dark in there and the fans just were i mean they were they weren't mean they were just really really good fans that loved good action and loved to hate the bad guys and they loved the good guys yeah, we're just just a rabid fan base, and it's and it's for for everything. And the way that the spectrum was set up, I- instead of being like these wider bowl shaped uh, venues that you have now, the seats were right on top of each other, and it almost went like straight up in the air. So the acoustics in that building it would just always be so loud. And I always wanted to hear from a performer what it was like to actually because I know as a fan, you know, spending so many nights at, at so many different events in that building, what it, you know, what it sounds like for us, and you know, just you could get that building so loud that it would just literally you could feel the building shaking. Yes. You know what yes. it was like to have somebody perform in that building and and hear kind of what their recollections was. Well, that's you. You hit the nail on the head when you talked about the acoustics of the building, and the old Boston Garden was the same way. Uh, Madison Square Garden has the uh, uh, the acoustic type effect the same way. And I remember when I first came into the uh, WWE and WWF, and I came out of Calgary, and we had a big show at the Calgary Stampede at the big Saddle Dome. It seats twenty something thousand, you know, but it's made for hockey. It's a hockey arena. Uh, like you said, one of those oval-shaped type things, and it was sold out. And Hulk Hogan was on the card, Big John Studd, Andre the Giant, all the big stars were there. And and I happened to get on the card because I was working for uh, uh, Bret Hart's uh, daddy, uh, Stu. Uh, Stu Hart, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but Stu got me on the card, and that's where I, I, I met up with Hogan again after all those years. I had not seen him in like ten years, but uh, the acoustics were totally different and and they're they're not the same now even in any of these new buildings and uh, i know the rolling stones played a, a concert here at the big football stadium in in uh, phoenix and i guess people were complaining because there were the the echo and the bounce back off of the building was terrible uh, but a place like the spectrum it was de- you you're you're right it was it was when i heard this noise the first time I was there and in Hartford Civic Center and places like that on the East Coast, it was nerve-wracking. It was like, man, I'm scared. I'm, I'm afraid to go out there. This, this is so loud. I mean, it was so loud. And when Hogan came out and the music played, it was just – I mean, you couldn't talk to anyone. It was so loud. Even backstage, it was, you could hear it. It was loud. Brilliant. That's, would you would you feel that um, obviously you were performing towards ninety three thousand at WrestleMania three? Now th- was that just as loud, if not louder, for you then? No, it was it was it was totally different because of the way that building was designed, and and of course it had that uh, uh, prefab roof on it uh, type thing where sunlight could come through the roof, and 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 uh, the acoustics in that building was terrible. We actually couldn't, you couldn't, we didn't really hear the people. I, I mean, you really could not hear them that much at all, even though they were making noise. And if you look at it back on video, uh, you could hear it. But as far as us, other than going to the ring, you could hear the noise. But once we were in the ring, we really didn't hear the people. 
Okay. Um, just um, obviously you were mentioned earlier on that you do a lot of conventions now with other legends. So how does it feel to still be appreciated um, so many years on by your loyal fans? You know that's that's what drive that's what keeps me going. It, it, it gives me that drive to keep going because uh, every independent show I do is different. I meet so many young aspiring. Uh, boys and girls that want to be in the wrestling business and and uh, that's their training ground so to speak and and the fan base out on the independent shows and and doing the comic book conventions and all these autograph signings and 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 legend stuff i stayed away from all of that legend stuff until my action figure came out and i said well heck i might as well go do this now i didn't want to be associated with a bunch of old timers but now it's not old timers that do that do these conventions and signings and and the fans are really really great they you know a lot of them come up and go gosh man we can't believe it you still look the same and man where have you been (laughs) you the fans sometimes don't understand just because you're not on tv doesn't mean you're in the grave i mean <laughs> you know i I, work, I do i do 50 i do 50 events a year i do as much as, as the wwe guys do uh, i mean i i'm sure would i like to be back there drawing a steady paycheck of course could i work in the <laughs> ring could i work in the ring with those guys well i couldn't do that kind of nonsense they do uh, uh you know, put me in a match with Lawler or somebody, and we we could probably tear the building down uh, because we worked that old style, old school uh, type stuff. And and it's, it's believe me, no matter where I go around the world and do these old school matches that I do, I know I get criticized a lot of times. Hey, honky tonk man, he don't want to do this, he don't want to do that. Well, I don't know who you are. I don't know anything about you. I'm not going to let you pick me up and throw me around like a sack of potatoes. Uh, and sometimes the rings aren't that good, and uh, maybe I've had a long trip, and I don't feel like you take doing anything other than take my arm. And one night I told a kid take my arm, and he didn't do it, and I had to beat him up. And uh, <laughs> I went, I, 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 I go, I go back to the locker room. I said, "Why didn't you take my arm?" He said, "I didn't know what you meant." I said, "Heck, I don't care. Take it to the bus station. Just take it. <laughs> you know, just take my arm. Do something. <laughs> you know, but." Uh, and I don't, I don't like to, you know, rehearse my match. And the one thing I despise in the locker room is when ten guys are in there and they're all picking each other up and they're running against the wall and 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 practicing whatever they're going to be doing. It's the most nonsense I've ever seen in my life. I don't need to talk about it. I don't need to go over it. <laughs> they're picking each other up, and I'm saying, "Hey, man, get away from me! Don't you know, man." <laughs> they're they're doing spinneronies are on each other's heads in the locker room. It's like, come on, <laughs> and then they come back. They come, I'm not I'm not look I'm not being critical of them. It's it's positive criticism. They come back to the locker room and they go, oh wow man, we really hit that 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 uh, hurricane. Or, you know I don't even know what it's called. Uh, I call it a six pack of Coronas, but. Uh, <laughs> That that happens to be a, that, that's a uh, a beverage over here, Chris. Uh, oh, okay, it's, it's 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 a it's a beer. It's Corona, uh, six pack of Corona. Uh, they call it a her her Coronas or something. I don't know what the hell it is. <laughs> anyway, yeah, man, we really hit that spot. We really did this. We got man, that was good. Ah, we did. It. One night, I said, "What about the fans? What? What? What about the fans? How how did the fans react to that?" 
Oh, I, I don't know. We weren't listening to them. Oh, so what you did is go out and have a match for yourself. You don't care about the fans. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. They go out and have a match for themselves, and they could care less that the fans react. My whole thing is, look, if I'm doing something and I'm not getting a reaction from what I'm doing, then I want to switch it because I want fan involvement. I want the people to say, I was entertained, I had fun, I enjoyed that match. That's what our business is about, is entertaining the fans so that the next time, more, they will go tell their neighbor and their neighbor will tell someone and they'll all load up in the car and you got double the amount of crowd. Uh, I, don't, I don't get, they, these young kids, I don't know. I don't know. They, they, they all want to be TV stars. It's like the divas. <laughs> don't even get me started on the divas. I went. Well, half day neither. You said that. So is that well, what you're you're tending to see? Is a lot of guys are more worried about you know hitting spots and being spot monkeys as opposed to going into a ring, two guys telling a story and and, and really performing theater the the way that you guys used to do twenty years ago. Absolutely, you're 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 right, uh, and 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 I'm I'm glad you use that terminology, spot monkeys, because. And in fact, that's what it is. It's all just a bunch of spots put together. That, of course, yeah. If you do a, a, a off the top spinning six pack of Corona on four <laughs> guys, sure, the people are going to yell and the people are going to scream. But it doesn't mean that they're going to remember that match or they're going to say, "Man, I, I, that he that guy was so mean and hateful. I wanted to kill him, and I'm so glad Honky Tonk Man beat that guy." And, you know, it's some of the guys I have to go out and wrestle. I I can't. I, I got. I put a match together that I know will entertain the fans. And some sometimes the, the kids that I would go out and wrestle, uh, they they don't even. You know, they're not listening to the fans. They forget half the stuff. And I try to tell them it's very simple. It's something that's going to make the fans remember you. It's something that the fans will go home and say we had a great time. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Just go put spots together and then they always get their girlfriend or their mom or their dad videotaping it so that I guess what they do is on Sunday afternoon they all get together at Sunday dinner and watch their match (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mike what's your final question for this gentleman (laughs) um we had an episode uh, a couple a couple episodes back about entrance musics and you're one of the few superstars that provided their own lyrics to their own entrance to their own entrance music and to me it, it made it one of the most memorable themes of all time whose idea was it for you to do that how did you know how did that come to be since it was so out of the norm uh you know the entrance music kind of started with the uh michael hayes and uh terry gordy the freebirds they were the first guys i think that started having entrance music i know lawler had some uh in in memphis uh years ago and uh, of course, Jimmy Valiant when he was there, kind of Jimmy Hart was kind of the the instigator, and and because he came from music and 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 from the uh, nightclub business, uh, performing, uh, he he introduced the the video uh, packages with music behind them uh, down in Memphis that that was got over very well, and then uh, they took that idea from him and did it in Atlanta then they did it in Texas and then they did it in Florida and you know pretty soon it was a it caught on when I first started in the business for the first five or five years or so 
there was no such thing as entrance music. I mean, we just, they rang the bell and you walked out and they introduced you. Uh, so, I mean, it was, to me, it's, it's an enhancement. It's better for the crowd to hear the music. And, uh, but Jimmy wrote the song. Jimmy wrote the, the, the lyrics for me, and it kind of fit in with my character. And it's a catchy tune. I mean, it's a bubblegum song. You know, he's honk tonk man. He's honk tonk man. He's honk tonk man. He's honk tonk man. He's too weak. He's bad. But, uh, you know, I have fun with it, and the fans have fun with it. And, and a lot of times I go and, 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 and wrestle, and guys will go, you know, for, all week long we've been playing that song on our on our DVD on our iPod on our and when we were driving down here today we can't get that song out of our head it's it was it's a catchy little tune and it's got some really good music behind it and uh, you know it, it's been good for me I've enjoyed it it's like I said I wasn't in WCW long enough to learn the words to that song so <laughs> I, I, I never sing it <laughs> and, and I was one of the few guys in fact I might have been the only guy that that actually sang i mean i i sang the the song myself it's me singing it it's not someone else okay brilliant um sir just thank you so much the floor is yours make sure you promote anything you're doing with your sound about your podcast um if you're on facebook twitter just um on behalf of mike and myself just thank you so much for coming on and as i said the floor is yours to promote your wares as it was sir well i don't really have anything to promote i mean the, the fans know how to find me i've got the facebook thing going uh uh, the Twitter thing, and uh, you know, we got a shop zone at the website, honkytonkman.net, and uh, I got my eBay stuff on eBay, and then I go out, I do my wrestling shows. I'm this weekend, I'm out to Minnesota for Rock and Roll Buck Zoom Off. We have a one uh, afternoon show at a, a festival or something of that nature. Then I next weekend, I'm going down to Mobile, Alabama to. Sims, Sims, Alabama, just out of Mobile. Last weekend, I was over, and uh, you know, I had a hard job. I had, uh, uh, I was at a stripper club, and we did, <laughs> uh, we did uh, topless Jello wrestling, and I was the MC for topless Jello wrestling last week in Richmond, Virginia. So, <laughs> I, I do a multitude of things. I am, uh, I don't call myself multi-talented by any means, but uh, uh, you know, hey, if there's a dollar to be made out there, I want it. <laughs> I, I stole that from King Kong Bundy. He said, "If there's a dollar in this building, I want it." <laughs> that is fantastic. Well, I've had a great time with you guys. I'm glad you had me on, and I'm sure that that some other places will pick this up and run it. And of course, the internet uh, people will be taking little tidbits off of it and making whatever they want out of it. So, uh, but it's been a great interview. You guys have been wonderful, and. Uh, it's like I said, uh, you, you, you couldn't ask me a question I, I couldn't answer honestly this time. I, I did tell the truth. Well, thank you okay. so much for coming on. Uh, thanks for yeah. having me. Yeah, I'll just leave it there. Just, I couldn't really sum it up better than that. So just thank you very much for Honky Tonk Man, ladies and gentlemen, on WrestleShock. Uh, had a great time. Hopefully he did as well. So stay tuned for more WrestleShock winging your way very soon. So... Let's see, Rob Grishans, whose career is going to end at the hands of the Intercontinental Champion, a.k.a. the Champion of Earth, Santino Marella. All right.
Who did you choose to face Santino Morella here at Cyber Sunday? Your choices were... Rowdy Roddy Piper! Gold Dust! Or the Honky Tonk Man! The greatest intercontinental champion of all time, the Hockey Talk Man, gonna go one on one with Santino Morella King. Oh Maybe the end of his hunkometer. Come on, King. I got lots of burns in my hands. Hockey held the Intercontinental Championship for one year, two months, and 27 days. A record. And Santino still has a uh, way to go to break. I think Hockey Talk Man is definitely the greatest. Well, he's just the record shows he's the greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time. Santino, I don't think he was impressed. That was, a, that was a close race. Very close. Hockey Talk Man wins by 1%. A lot closer than our presidential election, I'll bet. Thank you, thank you very much! <laughs> you know you go around comparing yourself to the honky-tonk man. I don't know about cool and cocky, but you are bad. You can't sing like the honky-tonk man. You can't dance like the honky-tonk man. In fact, you could be Intercontinental Champion for 10 years, but you would never compare to the honky-tonk man. Now you stand back. And let me show you how it's done. Oh boy. Turn my music on. Here we go, Michael. He did it again. I got a long side punch and my hair sitting back. I'm going to your town. And my feet got a lot of junk. Honky Dog Man still got it. <laughs> This is a honky-tonk man. Go ahead. What? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, oh yes, I'd love to see this. <laughs> what the heck is that? What in the world? Santino <laughs> dancing. by Santino. This match is for the Intercontinental Championship. Santino Morello against the Honky Tonk Man. I believe that 
Santino just... Interesting to say the least, matchup underway. And Santino's uh, streak of 11 weeks could be in jeopardy. Hey, hey, hey. Santino will never live this down if he loses to the honky dunk. I mean, honky dunk. Man. Oh. Oh. Hey, Santino, let's get it down the rope. Honky held that Intercontinental Championship we mentioned, King, for over one year. Unprecedented. Jim Hockey could take that <laughs> Intercontinental title tonight. Hockey Tonk Man with a few short fists right to Santino's face. Watch the punch. Side headlock strategy. He's on with a headlock. Hockey Tonk and then the shoulder knockdown. Uh oh, here we go. Oh. I think Hockey Tonk Man would like to finish off Santino earlier. Hey! <laughs> The Glamazon. Why did you do that? Are you stupid? What? That stupid woman! You cursed me like that! He's a big man of you! Ladies and gentlemen, your winner by disqualification, the Honky Tonk Man! That just cost Santino to lose! Santino lost the match! But not the title. Beth have been flabbergasted over Santino's reaction.
gold dust, and a honky tonk man. Good to happen to a nicer guy, Santino, huh? He gets everything he deserves. He deserves everything he gets.